it is currently because these things come out in a long delay. It is today we are recording on November 19th. I feel like I need to do that now from now on to let people know. Yeah, it was interesting because the last episode I just published was our Army of Shadows review. And we spend the first half of that talking about what we watched in September. Yeah. <laughs> so so a, what you're saying is we should not. We, we can still talk about what we've watched. Let's just not say when, though. See, I think we should be even more specific. I, I need to be because that because we are inevitably going to be inevitably going to be bringing up things that are current. That's true. Which give give the whole game away. So we need to lean into the fact that these things are delayed. It's a time capsule within a time capsule, because when we eventually look at back at this, you know, however many years down the line, not only are we remembering where we were when we uploaded it, but then we're going to listen to it and remember what was happening when we actually recorded it two or three months earlier. So speaking of current events, (laughs) it is the it is November 19th, 2020, and the Barnes and Noble November Barnes and Noble sale is currently going on. Yes. I don't think we talked about it last time. No, I think we were going to wait until we were all done. Got everything. Yeah, but we might as well talk about it because I know we, we both of us have gotten a few things. and I got to get mine. Most important uh, right now, I'll just bring, start with this one because um, Chandler intends on, buying, intends on buying it and I just bought it, which is uh, Jim Jarmusch's Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai. Oh, yeah. I bought it uh, upon recommendation from Chandler. Oh, yes. I was in. Barnes and Noble this afternoon and I was thinking to myself, you know, Chandler's stuck in quarantine. I bet he already got Ghost Dog. Wouldn't nope. this be a nice surprise for me to get it for him? And then here I find out he hasn't gotten it yet. Nope. I have not, unfortunately. But now I am prepared for whenever we do our review, which might be next week, might be the week, probably the week after that. Probably, yeah. It is a great movie. I have I have it. Um, I had it downloaded on my uh, my laptop so I could watch it. But the reason I really want to watch it is because um, uh, when they announced the Ghost Dog uh, Blu-ray or Criterion, um, they did a like a e- they emailed criter- Criterion subscribers asking, like, what questions do you have for Jim Jarmusch? Uh, and the best questions got like put on the actual supplements because every Jarmusch uh, Criterion has like an hour long supplement where he just answers fan questions i want to see if my question made it on ah see if my legacy was cemented in the ghost dog criterion i hope it was yeah i'm very excited for that now i'm excited do you want to share what that question is or the question i don't remember the the wording specifically but the question had something to do with the the um there's been this pairing uh over the past 20 or so years, um, a lot of different things from um, movies to TV shows to music have paired like hip hop and samurais. For some reason, it's just an amazing pairing that goes so well together. And I just wanted to mm-hmm. understand what his interpretation as to why that is, because I said, you know, like, obviously, Ghost Dog is a blending of the two. Um, it's an urban samurai. Uh, it's the score is done by Riza of the Wu Tang Clan. The Wu Tang Clan obviously um, Sam is a hip hop group that samples a lot of samurai and martial arts stuff. And then you have stuff like Samurai Champloo and Afro mm-hmm. Samurai. Lots of mixing of those two worlds. And I've always wondered why. What about those two worlds goes so well together? 
Good question. I hope he answers it. I don't have an answer. I, I hope he does, too. He, he's he's a funny man. I'm, I'm hoping it is a uh, a packed criterion from from what I saw. Yeah. Special which is- features wise. And the booklet was pretty thick. And there's a little uh, it comes in its own separate little pamphlet of like same ways of the samurai sayings. Yeah, the, nice. uh, that's the whole movie. It just has excerpts from the samurai code. And I have pretty much every other Jarmish criterion. And this one is by far the most loaded. All he ever does with his criterions is he does a little Q&A. He, sometimes he'll include a documentary about a musician that is kind of featured in the movie. And then he'll do like he'll show like a can press conference from whenever the movie is released. This one has a lot more stuff which I'm interested in. The more I look at criterions and I'm, I'm faced with the whole sea of stuff to get, it's, it usually comes down to how interested I am, obviously, but also like how much, how many bonus features, how much special features is there, are there on the disc? Yeah. Cause it's important. It uh, is often I've either seen the film or I really have no idea if I'm going to like it or not. If it's a blind buy, you know, Special features go a long way to helping me push me over, push me over the edge to to getting it. But, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, there's some like criterions with very little special features, like uh, the Sword of Doom, an old samurai film. Speaking of samurais, which is great, great movie. Would love to rewatch it, but there's like one special feature <laughs> on it. Like, why would I waste my money on that when I could get something else that has more informative things. Do you know what uh, Criterion is just absolutely loaded with special features? Mm. Is um, Brazil. Yeah, we talked about that. Brazil is literally loaded. The, the episode, the Army of Shadows episode, we were talking about the most bang for your buck Criterions. Oh, yeah. Uh, this one's also pretty loaded. Brazil. Brazil's Night of the Hunter. I, I kid you not, dude. I was literally about to bring that up. <laughs> It was in my mind. I was like, you know what else? Because Hunter's pretty, pretty packed. I, I just go through all of um, the, the ones that are $50. Brazil and Night of the Hunter are $50. And another one that is $50 that I just bought. Uh, are we showing the ones that we bought? Sure, why not? I mean, they can't see it. But. Well, yeah, that's true. But I just bought um, this bad boy. Uh, true Stories. With John Goodman upside down, which for the record, I don't see it. I, don't, see what? I, I didn't recognize him as John Goodman. I still can't recognize him as John Goodman. You can't. You don't see John Goodman's face as John Goodman. As soon as you flip it the other way, because <laughs> his face is upside down. I, I yeah. can't see it. Oh, it's like it's like the joke in uh, in movies where someone has like just a mustache, a fake mustache on and no one can recognize them. Like uh, Jackie Daytona. Uh, yes, exactly like Jackie Daytona. I can't. I'd be the person who couldn't recognize him looking right at him. That's what I feel like whenever I look at John Goodman upside down on that cover. But uh, True Stories is a $50 criterion. I've always wondered why. And I looked up, uh, looked at it when I bought it. It's a, it's a standard amount of features. There's a, there are two documentaries. Um, but what really makes it the other gives it the extra price is that it comes with a little CD. It has all the music from the movie, which oh, is nice. Cool. But the best part is this might be one of my favorite um, booklets ever. It's just a little newspaper. It is great. Our friend uh, Nick got that true story. So I've seen the inside. Very neat. At one point. And it's, it's nice. I've I watched it. it. 
It, it, I just watched it last night. It's a very goofy little movie. That's a, that's the best way I can put it. It's yeah. It is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, it's it's like barely even a movie, but I like it a lot. As far as everything else, though, I I, th- I think I showed you everything that I bought from the sale, but I just uh, want to show you this one real quick because I will be watching this soon. That's Barry Lyndon. Oh yes, I forgot you got that. I have I have two Criterions on the top of my stack: Barry Lyndon and Andre Rublev. And Andre Rublev. I hope you do watch Andre Rublev. I will watch. Stalker convinced me that I I definitely Good. had to watch it. And hey, I've Good. got time. You do. I um I may also be stuck in in this room for some time. I don't know. I'm getting a COVID test on Saturday because uh, I was in marginal contact with someone at work uh, uh. who has it. So when I was at uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, I was kind of treating it as this is my last time for the month. <laughs> I was looking at like long movies of like if I was really stuck in the room, what could I what could I get? And you know, I kind of go out of my way to buy the long movies anyway, so it's not like anything new. It's true. I didn't end up getting any long movies, but I looked at uh, Hoop Dreams. One of these days, I'll get around to that. Hoop Dreams is good. That's also a decently long movie. It's like two hours and forty five minutes. Yeah, I'm always morbidly curious about michael camino Semino's camino's uh days of heaven's heaven? gate or heaven's gate yeah oh god uh which is another 50 dollars criterion which is a western and i like westerns a lot i guess i don't know uh one of these days i'll pull the trigger and, and blind by that but my not today resistance to that movie is not that it's long i don't care that it's long because i can just rationalize it and say it's a miniseries I just the deer hunter felt like five hours. <laughs> the deer hunters, the the other reason why I don't it, it didn't inspire confidence for engagement in uh, his his work as a director. Yeah, no pass. I'm morbidly curious because this is the one that everybody says. Is, I, I don't even think people say it's bad. It's just a giant bomb. But eh, I trust Criterion. Another very loaded criterion that we're going to be discussing today. So this is kind of a, a tangent that is actually the main conversation. Whoa, are we not going to talk about what we, what we watched? No, we are. This okay. is a tangent. Okay. Sorry. Uh, but Parasite, of course. Yes. Uh, where's mine? Yeah. God, I, I love new movies. They really went all out. 2019. Look, if, if, you, if anyone is not sure that 2019 is one of the best years for film. It is. Just consider that Criterion has already put out three Portrait of Lady on Fire, The Irishman, the Irishman Parasite. I know there's another one. One of it, it's a, an obscure one, something I haven't seen, which is surprising. Can I just say about this this Criterion? It grew on me. I when this was revealed, the box art was revealed. I wasn't a fan, but I actually really like it. It's not really a movie, but it is Martin Scorsese's Rolling Thunder review. Oh, the Bob Dylan thing. Yeah. Also technically a 2019 movie. So interesting that Criterion is releasing things I've gotten for the Barnes and Noble sale. The before trilogy. I think we mentioned that last time. Last one. Christ stopped at Eboli. I thought it was that Ebola. 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 Christ stopped at Ebola. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm not going to handle that. You guys, you guys can get that. You're on your own. You know, since it's that's it's another long a, one, isn't it? It is, which is why I got it. Uh, and it's about fascism. So how could I not get it? Since it is a very 
kind of obscure film. Like I've never heard of it before. I've only heard of it because it is Criterion. Right. I've vaguely heard of uh, Francisco Rossi, the director. Um, and now that I've seen it, I'm going to check out more of his, his work. But all of his work is very obscure uh, from just a kind of film, a even like a film fan, a layman film fan. So because of that, I'm just going to say I recommend Christ Stopped at Eboli. It is everything you think of when you think of like a, a foreign film. Not much happens. <laughs> it's mostly just mood. I'm remen- reminded of I don't know if you remember when I kind of gave a negative review for Death in Venice. It was a while back. OK, I, I really didn't like Death in Venice because it was just a guy walking around Venice who was mildly attracted to uh, a younger man and he dies. And that's the plot of the film. Like he just wanders around Venice. There's nothing. And Christ opted Eboli is much the same, but there's actually like personality to it. And there's a reason for that. So the the plot of the movie is this uh, political dissident is sent to just this random ass small town in Southern Italy with poor peasants and essentially nothing around him. As you do. Like the first 30 minutes is him just taking a train ride and then another train ride and then a bus ride and then a car ride and then walking to the village. But it's it's just shot in this the most interesting way possible. And there's more to it. Like he meets a dog like there's stuff happening. Oh, of course. Uh, he adopts a dog along the way, uh, which is adorable. The dog should have been in it more. My only complaint. <laughs> but the whole film is him getting to know these poor Italian peasants and getting it's essentially like getting to know the Italian village, getting to experience it. And it was it was really interesting. It was a very unique film. I call it a film, but it it was a film. But then they split it up into four episodes for television. Weird. And that's the way that criterion present like it's one long thing yeah but it stops every hour for credits and then just picks up immediately like you don't have to press play or go in it was weird like fanny and alexander but that one it has it's it does break it out you have the option yeah. to watch it an episode which, i'm watching that again next month good good what else did i got uh, bought that's it okay so i made good on my threat to get another godard and i got i bought pearl yeah. lefou Last week. Oh, that's a new one, isn't it? It is, yeah. Which I recently rewatched, recently liked. See whatever episode we discussed that in. Couldn't tell you which one. There's a little bit of Godard in every episode. Yeah. <laughs> Just sprinkle it in. Good movie, good criterion. Lots of lots of nice special features. No, no commentary, which is if there was a commentary, it would have been perfect, but it's fine. Then I also got a close up, a boss curious. Ah, yes. I've had which, this for a while. I needed to give it a rewatch because I gave it four stars on my first viewing, which I know was wrong. I knew that's in my top 25. Is it? Yeah, I think it's towards the bottom. That's surprising. Oh, my. I love that. I love that. Hold on. It's a really great movie. I'm just surprised it's in your top 26 below uh, Unforgiven and above Paddington 2. Is it one of those movies where you watched it one time, liked it so much you put it on there? Yeah. The only other time, the only other movies that that happened to me where I, you know, watched it once, loved it, put it on there were close or close up, um, Colonel Blimp, uh, a poor Sanzar, Akiru and Ghost Dog. Ah, well, one, it's a really nice criterion, just the the kind of color aesthetic of the whole thing. And there's some good special features on it that I'm interested in getting into, which I didn't even know this kind of sealed the deal. It has a second movie on there. 
Karastami's first film. So I'll need to watch that. I'm very excited. But it, of course, I bumped it up uh, on my second viewing. It's still like, I'm not sure what. I mean, we're going to talk about it. It's on the BFI list, the site. Yeah, list. I figured so, it had to be. So I'm not sure how much I should say. Is Taste of Cherry on there too? That's Taste of Cherry. No. Right? No. It is Taste of Cherry, but it's not on there. I think that's the only uh, Kiarostami film on, mm. which if I had to guess, there, I think there will be two of his movies on the next list. I don't know which, but I think he's Ooh. he's gotten enough publicity in the past 10 years that, yeah, especially with his death. He's, uh, he reminds me of Wong Kar Wai. And that he always has on his glasses. Mm-hmm. It's one of those directors. Really, one just, of those <laughs> directors. A lot of directors just have like an image. Lynch is one of them. Yeah. Like they're just there's a you take a snapshot of it and, of the director and you instantly know. Yeah. Caricatures. You can Scorsese with his big eyebrows. Orson Welles with his bigness. <laughs> his corpulence. <laughs> uh, but there's some that are. David Fincher, I can't instantly recall him. No. Well, I know Spielberg's just not exactly. No, I know Spielberg. Spiel. Okay, I'll Spielberg. Yes, I will say. But that I'm talking about like you could draw from memory. I think you could draw of. Spielberg. I don't think he's. Rec- I I don't think he is. He has enough like big distinguishing features. Mm, okay. Like you could draw him, sure, but you show it to someone else and they'd be like, uh, I don't know. It looks like. Could you draw my Tarantino? Dad. Tarantino is you could I don't think you could draw Tarantino, but Tarantino is very recognizable. You just got to give him a crescent shaped skull. I've never seen anyone in the world that looks quite like Tarantino. <laughs> Richard Linklater, you can draw him either. You, you know who you could draw? You could draw um, Noah Baumbach. I think so, because you just have to capture all that gloom in his eyes. It'd be pretty easy. Kurosawa had glasses, too. So, yeah, close up. It's It's really good. But if you do not like thinking about what you're watching, it's not a good movie. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to say it's entertaining because I remember the first time I watched or the only time I watched it the whole time. I was just after at the start of each scene, I was like, wait, what? What is happening? What is real? What is going on? Is this a documentary? Is this a really, really heavily staged narrative? I don't know. I still don't know. I love it. It's great. You know, that's much the same reaction that my mom had when we watched. Um, fuck. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, certified copy. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure she was. Yeah, I wasn't sure she was going to like that, but she really did. Really liked it. I really like it, too, which ironically, because I like it so much that and Francis Ha, another one that I like so much. I just won't buy the criterion. You're not going to buy the Francis Ha criterion? Rude. No, because I can get watch it on Netflix anytime. It feels That's like fair. I'm wasting money. Yeah, the, the features aren't amazing on the Francis Ha criterion. That's got Julie Binoche, doesn't it? Same for certified uh, copy. So yeah, close up. Good movie. We'll talk about it later on the podcast. Eventually. What have you been watching? Uh, okay, so I, I'll i go through everything that I watched because, you know, it's not too much. But I did just sneak one thing in right before we started recording. I watched a little movie. I'm not I, I'm not going to give you the name of it. I want to see if you can guess by the music because it's it's in it's 90 minutes of people shouting at each other and then somebody dies and then this plays. Do you recognize it? I recognize I rec- I recognize that music so hard it's so painful that I cannot tell you what that is. <laughs> What is it? It's battles without honor and humanity. <laughs> of course it is. Oh, 
I just the watched biggest this yeah. internal cringe. Jacob, what are you doing? <laughs> what did you think? Battles of Without Honor and Humanity, a series we've talked about on the podcast before. I really like it. I told Chandler he might like it. I don't know. It's a Yakuza, Yakuza movie. So, okay. The thing is, um, obviously, you know, I'm stuck in here for a bit. Uh, I decided to get Amazon Prime again just because, you know, I'll, I'll th- that's all I'm going to be doing is watching stuff. And it's like the first thing I see on Amazon Prime is, oh, my God, these movies that I forgot that Jacob told me about that I've wanted to watch for a while because uh, I'm a huge fan of the Yakuza games, which are just games that you play as Yakuza and they're really funny and also really gory. And I want a movie experience that is similar to the experience I get playing those games. The closest I've come is Ichi the Killer, and that's not even close. Mm. Um, but I'm happy to say that these I have now realized just how heavily the games borrowed from these movies because mm. they're very similar. This is a good movie. I like it. I'm going to watch the rest. I had no fucking clue what was going on. Same. <laughs> Took me to the third movie to really kind of like, oh, that's the main character. It is the most batshit insane pacing. It's literally like 10 movies in the span of one where every like 10 or 15 minutes, the plot completely changes to like a new thing. <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't help that, y- you know, you are trained to recognize faces and yes people of other cultures it's harder to recognize their faces and the it differences is. there are differences there just that you can't recognize them as easily so it doesn't help that they're all japanese and there's like 40 of them all with names <laughs> that they insist on using all the time not only did they insist on using them but in the beginning like the first 10 minutes of this movie is just Japanese people will shout until there's a freeze frame where their face is blurry and they'll say, this is such and such of such and such clan. And Which like, doesn't help at all. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But what I love about I mean, it's a good movie. I'm not going to say it's not a good movie. They're, they're fun movies. It's really unique. I can't think of any uh, similar thing. I think I did like compare it kind of to a, a, a Safdie Brothers that just kind of manic the energy, all yes. over the place. The energy. Yeah. But as far as narrative structure goes, towards the end, it was just funny to me that like literally every five minutes, somebody would get shot or stabbed out of nowhere. And then you just hear. (laughs) (laughs) It's the same music every time. But, you know, there's a lot of artistry going on, Mm -hmm. so I can't fault it for that. But uh, yeah. It's a good movie. I like it. I'm going to watch more of them, but I can't understand what the fuck is going on. <laughs> I know. It, it feels entirely cinematic, but also really because it's based on a on true stories um, of Yakuza. Yeah, but it does feel very real and gritty in a way that it is not has not been replicated in the West. Yeah. Just the style, the editing, the pacing, everything. It's 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 a very unique experience. And if you like if you like the idea of the Yakuza of that, it's on Netflix, uh, not Netflix, Amazon, Amazon Prime. Prime. It's like, Free. what, six, six of them? Yeah, five. No, five, I think. Yeah, I'll get there. Don't quote me on that. But that it was funny. I liked it. Uh, I also watched uh, I rewatched Tokyo Story. Mm-hmm. Did you watch that because of uh, Sardana cast? I did. Yeah, <laughs> I was just curious. Tokyo Story. Well, I've been wanting to rewatch it for a long time, and I really wanted to get the Criterion, but I couldn't get it. I rewatched it, and yeah, I gave it the the full five stars. It's a great movie. I I quite enjoy that. I still, I think I've only that's still the only Ozu I've seen. No, that's not true. I've seen Late Spring, director of so many fucking. You know, interesting uh, comparison here. Ozu and uh, Battles Without Honor and Humanity. Much much the same experience watching a lot of those movies, 
because after a while they blend together <laughs> and you're 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 after just the the same thing every time you just go back for yeah. the same thing just a little different yeah I, I i finally watched the sweet smell of success which i gave four and a half stars and i don't think i could i remember one scene and it's from the beginning of the movie and that's all i remember and that's what i gave it was four and a half stars i really like it it's um it's just a very solid noir but instead of like you have your typical noir hero who's kind of a jerk but finds his his good guy core to save the day in the end it's just a a guy who's kind of slimy and kind of terrible and he continues to be slimy and terrible until the people he's being slimy and terrible to kind of win in the end i really like tony curtis in this movie and the in the dialogue is also very very good mm-hmm. um the, the special features um were interesting because the director alexander mckendrick who i thought this is the only movie of his that i saw i didn't I had no idea that he did the um original lady killers ah. yeah so like <clears throat> this guy was a um alexander mckendrick was a film professor who uh always referred to his failed film career um, when he's actually had a few decently popular and successful movies and the, just the guy that the portrait of the man they were painting these behind the scenes features just made it seem like it it was an he was an extremely humble guy that knew a lot about the economy of storytelling and would pressure his students to like you know emphasize story over um over technical things when you're learning um he's a very interesting guy um i recommend anyone who has that criterion to check out those features um i also watched for the first time, I never realized that I never saw this, but uh, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which ironically enough was also on Sardonicus. I didn't know that until it came out, though. I'd never seen this in full. Really? Yeah. Only seen it in parts? Yeah, just seen. I've seen like every song on YouTube, so I assume I saw the whole thing. But I finally sat down and watched the whole thing, and it was great. My favorite part about this movie is that in most kids' movies, I feel like the low point would be like a a moment of self-doubt with your main character that feels contrived. And that is kind of what happens at the end when Jack Skellington gets fucking shot down by the U.S. military. He falls down into a graveyard and he starts going on this little sad song about, you know, how I failed. But immediately he twists around and he's like, you know what? No, I did my best. I made a really good Halloween Christmas. I'm great. I love being the Pumpkin King. Fuck you. I'm going back to Halloween town. I like that. That's great. It's been a while since I've seen that. It's good. It make me want to watch it again. It's, it's just the, the nostalgia has been lifted out of my heart. 76 minutes. I also always assumed that this was Tim Burton. It is not. Everyone. I think that's a common. Well, because uh, it's presented as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. Which is just the producer, isn't he? Yeah. And I guess he must have wrote. Yeah, because it's based off a poem he wrote. The actual guy, Henry Selleck, he directed two other stop motion films james the giant peach which is really fucking weird and uh Coraline, which is great oh yeah yeah solid little movie i also rewatched house 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 I'm, I'm assuming still just as good still just as good it's fun the first thing i looked for when i went to barnes and noble today was house because i went to the other barnes and noble <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah didn't find didn't it have it would have bought it if they did uh i also watched another criterion that i bought and watched was Mishima. Mishima. A life in four chapters. Very garish cover. It, it, I, I hate this cover. <laughs> it sucks. 
I do not like this cover at all. It's really interesting. It's one of the more unique criteria. It is. It's it, it's unique, but it's ugly. I don't know why it's gold. Gold's in one of the, the chapters. Yeah, well, it was a pretty good movie. It's one of those movies that um I was a lot more... When I was watching it, the whole time I was just thinking, oh, this is interesting more so than, oh, I really like this. Or I respect so much about it. The cinematography is crazy. The the structure is insane where you get life and then the art that comes from that life, which then also that art tells you more about the life. I really like that. And it's like as by the end of the movie, I was like, I loved everything about that. But why didn't I love the movie? And I I still don't know why. (coughs) Maybe it's just because I'm not familiar with Mishima like as an artist. He's Mm. not a figure that is known to me. The figure shouldn't have to be known to you in order. Yeah. For the That's film fair. Work. I don't know. It didn't work for me as a film. I, much the same sentiment as you. Great, really well like designed, made. It's really iconic. I can still remember a lot of it. Since it's been a while since I've seen it. I just it didn't really connect. Didn't really like engage me on a on a yeah. more emotional level. Although I was thinking about it a lot while I was watching it. So there's still a bit that I think about this, and that's why I didn't rate it yet because I want to like let it sit for a little bit. Mm. I also watch True Stories. It's fun. Watch it. It's short. It's cute. Okja, but we'll get to that. I rewatched Parasite with the director commentary. We'll get to that. Did you watch it with the commentary? Yeah. The funniest part of the commentary to me is early on when that English guy was bringing up like there's a lot in this movie that is also scattered about earlier in your other films. And he starts going to details about these tiny little things such as the mom's like Olympic background and how that connects to the girl's archery background mm-hmm. in the host and he goes on about all these little details and bong's like why do you know all that i'm uncomfortable <laughs> I, I one of my favorite details from the commentary not to get into this but bong talks about what he did with all of his oscars and he said he gave one to his mom and i thought that was so wholesome <laughs> cute and then finally uh a movie that i'm sure we'll get yeah yeah we will get into um at some point and that's a uh, woman under the influence uh i'm not gonna go too much into it because it's coming out decently soon but i really really liked it it's probably my favorite john cassavetes movie either that or love streams gotta think about it but yep that's hard it's hard to watch but it's very very good i look forward to rewatching it it is also my favorite cassavetes yeah you gave it a four and a half star i was surprised continue so last year 2019 i made a concerted effort to watch as many movies from the year as I as I could. And I think I got to like 55 or 60 at the end of the year. Obviously, with 2020, everything has changed with the way that films are being released. And there's much there's not as many coming out, although they are still coming out. And it's November approaching to the end of the year. So I thought it was time to see what had been released that I had been ignoring and trying to like catch up on 2020 as as a year because I think I would like to watch at least 30 movies from this year. Um, I think 30 is regardless of quality. It is you, you need for me. I would like to watch that to get a good sense of what the year was about. Yeah. And if I'm going to make a top 10 list, I need at least two movies for every movie I put on that list uh, for me. I made a list and I will share it with you and I'll share it with uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for this episode. A list of 2020 movies to watch. And there's, there's there are quite a few surprisingly uh, good ones that I haven't seen. I don't they'll not they, they, they won't get me past 15, but uh, there are there are a few good ones. The Painted Bird. I don't know if you heard of that one. Oh, you watched that? 
No, but oh. it's on the list. Okay. A lot of these also, uh, Letterbox qualifies as 2019, but I am. I think I might just carte blanche for the future. Just say it has to have a wide release. Whenever the wide release is, that's the year the movie comes out. Okay. I don't know. I'm I'm not too big into the kind of uh, elitism of movie premieres and like the movie came out in 2019. No one saw it in 2019. 20 people doesn't count. Interesting, because that is uh, the opposite of what you said when I put Under the Silver Lake in the top of the 2019 list. Okay. (laughs) Could be. Could be the case. But yeah, there's some interesting ones on here that uh, some are better than others, but quite a few. There's at least 20 movies from this year that I am interested and I think are worthwhile uh, for my time. Uh, Speaking of things that are not worthwhile of my time, Mulan. I finally made good (laughs) on my threat to watch that. Oh, no. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, Was it worth it? No. No, it didn't look like it was worth it. One star. One star from Jacob. Big cringe. (laughs) I don't know. I don't want to ruin my relationship with Disney uh, in the future. I don't want to put it out on the web just in case I ever get the chance to be employed by them well they're gonna be everybody's landlords in about 10 yeah. years so, so I'd definitely get on the i was gonna I, my review was gonna be uh i'm not i'm not angry disney i'm just disappointed <laughs> you yeah, know that's uh it the trailer looks good yeah i was decently excited for it um well not as excited as one could be for a live action remake because right. i thought the it looked semi reminiscent of something like Ron, you know, just a big scale samurai adjacent epic. Um, And from what I've heard, that is not the case in the slightest. No, the cinematography is nice. It is really crisp, clean production design, all that kind of stuff. It was nice to look at. But beyond that, it was devoid of any personality, anything worthwhile watching was baffling. The choices that were made, (laughs) it begins essentially well there's voiceover one disney wrong voiceover (laughs) no don't do it uh but the essentially the opening scene is is a little mulan running around her her village building thing with a stick trying to get a chicken into a coop why and it's the stupidest thing i've ever seen it's the stupidest opening scene of the past 10 years i've seen (laughs) i don't know i you know if their goal was to make it to instantly separate it from the original, they succeeded perhaps too much. The biggest issue essentially is that like the opening half hour is fine. It's fine. Like, yeah, uh, it's like three stars, two and a half stars, maybe, which is, you know, OK. Uh, the problem is that the characters essentially disappear for the last hour and a half of the film. Hour and a half. And it just become. Yeah, it it's it's extremely problematic. Like it. Mulan as a character has little to no character development over that span of time. There is a little like it's like scene of character development, 20 minutes of action with people you barely know. Another little scene of character, 20 minutes of action. It's just so boring. (laughs) Now, here's my question. As far as the, the masterpieces of Disney Plus goes, how does it compare to Artemis Fowl? Which one is better? Artemis Fowl is worse, of course, but I would in, I would watch Artemis Fowl again so much, so much more than I would Mulan because <laughs> Mulan is boring. Artemis Fowl is at the very least baffling and short. As long as it's short. That was um, 
Uh, that is one quick tangent. That's one thing that I'm going to try to do more of while I'm in quarantine. Um, is I was, you know, I got on Amazon Prime today after renewing my membership, and I just looked through and I was like, wow, there is some absolute fucking garbage on Amazon Prime, and I'm going to watch some of it. It's fun watching some garbage every once yeah. in a while. Yeah, <laughs> like there's really, really low quality shit on Amazon Prime, and I kind of want to watch some. Here I am, surrounded by Barry Lyndon, Andre Rublev. Code unknown, and I'm gonna go watch the Smosh movie on Amazon Prime. The fact that you brought up the Smosh movie, I'm so excited for you to watch that. Oh my god! Have you seen the Smosh movie? No, but I've seen the I think the I Hate Everything yeah. review of it. So that's it's today is the it. 15th anniversary of Smosh too, ironically <laughs> enough. So maybe I'll do it tonight. Which is funny because I was gonna watch. Um, I have both Taxi Driver and Goodfellas here because I was gonna watch it in honor of martin scorsese's birthday and i never got around to it but if you think i'm missing out on the smosh anniversary well i'm excited for you (laughs) so uh 2020 movies that i've watched i watched rebecca uh netflix movie oh yeah the novel which have you seen the original i have yeah i got how do you like the original wild bit the uh it's pretty good it's like it's it's Hitchcock's dry run for Vertigo, okay. which is, you know, I, I can't go into more because they're very different movies. But the more like I started thinking about it and I just found more and more similarities between the plot and Hitchcock's obsessions over the years between the two films. Interesting discussion to have there. But uh, maybe maybe I'll put a pin in that and we'll we'll have that discussion in our last episode when we talk about Vertigo. Rebecca is fine. <laughs> it kind of. It's like Mulan, but less egregious. It kind of sucks the life out of the material. It looks nice. They're both hot. I guess that's the appeal. You know what? I'm not steamy romance. I'm not as convinced. I know Nate is a big Lily James fan. However, Army Hammer. It's completely worth it because Army Hammer is the hottest man alive. I'll say. Well, it. I, I might not agree with alive. that, but it's close. Close. He's up. That man is dangerously good looking. Especially so in Rebecca. <laughs> well, I've seen his I've seen his suits. Good suits. Driveways, another 2020. Oh, yeah. Apologies. Movie that uh, Letterboxd insists on its 2019. <laughs> False. It was pretty good. It was kind of a letdown. I really love the Driveways trailer. It's kind of an emotional trailer. It got me really excited to watch it. And it's 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 a good effort as a film. But it's kind of a little undisciplined with its pacing. And its uh, themes throughout the film worth definitely worthwhile if you're looking for a new movie to watch. Netflix, the My Octopus Teacher, uh, it went viral a little while ago. It looked interesting. I like nature documentaries, so why not watch it with my mom? Oh, it's okay. So it's oh, it's real life. Yeah, it's a documentary. Uh, It was good. I (laughs) I thought that was going to be a spicy anime about an academic octopus. (laughs) Assassination Classroom. Isn't that the anime where it's it's like a tentacle guy? I don't know. Oh, one thing I did see that you watched was um, Water Lilies. Yeah. So Celine Siama's films are actually leaving the Criterion channel at the end of the I didn't even know they were on there. So I wanted to watch that. She only has four movies that she directed. Tomboy, Water Lilies, Girlhood, and the Portrait of Lady on Fire. So yeah, I need to watch Girlhood and then I'll, I'll finish her filmography off. But Water Lilies was great. Maybe not great. I don't know <laughs> why I said great. that. But it was, it was, uh, I gave it three and a half stars. It, it was a really good movie. Nice, nice early effort from a director. 
I wouldn't necessarily go out of your way to watch it. Girlhood, not girlhood. Tomboy. Is it Tomboy? Yes. Tomboy. That one I recommend watching if you can before the, the, the month is out. It's a lovely, lovely, quiet little film. Also short. About a girl posing as a boy. It's great. Very this, much. And it's going to sound very morbid. And I'm not going to expect you to follow up on this. But the kid on the poster for Tomboy, there's a very famous unsolved murder case about a child that was thrown in a cardboard box and left to die in the or like the woods of Philadelphia in the early 20th century. Uh, and it's a famous picture of his corpse because nobody knows the name of this kid. No one knows where he came from. He died. No one has ever claimed his body. And he looks exactly like the kid in Tomboy. Anyways, I'm not theorizing that this kid on the poster is the 100 years old lost child, but we don't know for sure. So in this, like in the in the spectrum of directors, you have Steven Spielberg directors and Ozu directors. Steven Spielberg directors are directors who they have a style, but they just kind of do whatever they want for each film and the style follows. Or you have the Ozu where it's the same. You know what you're getting into immediately. Like there's no deviation whatsoever. Wes Anderson. Yeah. Celine Sciamma very much is on the Ozu side of the spectrum where all of her films are very much about the queer experience of growing up. Portrait of Lady on Fire is actually the only kind of exception to that. She actually said in an interview that she was she made three films and then she was like, I'm done with coming of age stories, still doing queer cinema, but I'm going to go into a period drama next. Oh, interesting. But they're all very they all deal deal with pretty similar themes and stuff like that. And uh, it's interesting watching uh, watching that. Those those are some of my favorite directors to watch, kind of just seeing the the small little differences between all their films and how they portray similar stories, similar themes, but in different ways and with different characters. It's really good. Good director. I, I am very eagerly awaiting whatever she does next after Portrait I think of a Lady on Fire. Do you think Portrait of a Lady on Fire um, has a chance at the Oscars? Yes. Because technically they didn't do the wide release in America until February of this year. I would say this. If it was like it was clearly a 2020 release. Yes. But it was I feel like plenty of people watched it in 2019. So it's kind yeah. of old. For a lot of people, especially people, Oscar voters. And also it came out on Hulu. It, the only reason why it might not win and the only any movie you put Portrait of Lady on Fire against, it deserves to win against. And the only reason why it might not win is because it's not in the forefront of people's minds. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, but there's there's no movie close to it in 2020. There's barely movies close to it in 2019. I watched some uh, to finish this out. I watched some more Bergman box stuff. It's good. He did a lot of stuff. Some of it's not not as good as other stuff. I, I won't spend too much time uh, speaking about specifics. What I did watch was uh, Parasite twice and uh, Memories of Murder. And uh, now we are going to get into our Bong Joon-ho retrospective. Bong Joon-ho. Uh, so you watched Parasite and Memories of Murder? Oh, hold on. Hold on. Quick tangent. Do something a little special. Special for the for the the podcast here um i i'm i'm just now getting my my uh covid19 test results back from when i took it yesterday took the test uh let's see let's see what the verdict is as i have no taste oh you know what this might actually have to wait because i don't think i remember my password for this 
I think it would be hilarious if it ended up being a, a false negative. I can't taste anything, so I'm going to assume that's not it. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm like, if if you're having that symptom, I'm sure you have COVID. It just would be really funny if the test said you didn't. Oh, here it is. Okay, hold on. Hold on. We're checking the lab results now. Smelling my criterions now. Give me the report. Positive. Yep. Crazy. You won. I won. <laughs> Incredible. Okay, so hold on. I, uh, I'd stay home for at least 10 days after this test. Okay, so. Oh, it does say result positive flags A. So technically it does say A on my uh, report here, so I did ace it. But yes, Bong Joon-ho. Uh, Is that the first A you've gotten in years? <laughs> Possibly over a decade. Bong Jun Ho. Or as Spike Lee likes to to call him, Pong Jun Ho. <laughs> Up until this point, the only Bong Jun Ho movie I hadn't seen was Okja. And now I've seen Okja. So now I can. We have both recently finished his filmography. But oh, you needed to see uh, Barking Dogs Never Bite? Yep. Weirdly enough, that's. I got to that one pretty early. I went from Memories of Murder to Mother to Barking Dogs Never Bite. Then to Parasite, the host, Snowpiercer, Okja. I think we should do three, two things, three things. I don't know. We should talk about the Criterion release of Parasite. Sure. We should do a rundown of his filmography, give like our top 10 of like order, all that kind of stuff. I'm assuming you've done this. Rank it. And then uh, have a Memories of Murder discussion. Oh, we're doing a Memories of Murder? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, just just roughly. We can we can have a more specific discussion later. Yeah, I, I should have watched it. I, I it's it's pretty fresh in my mind. So, yeah, the, the criterion release of Parasite. This is one of those things that as soon as Parasite came out on Blu-ray, I bought it because I really wanted to watch it again. Same. And I I I did not think it would be getting a criterion release. Maybe I knew that it was possible, but I didn't think. It would happen in if it did, I didn't think it would be so soon. So I think they announced the, it is quick. It is very quick. Less than a year later. Yeah, because I know that, you know, there's some the, the the methodology in which they use to pick their criterion releases. I have no clue. It's probably a combination of like what they can get rights to what they're interested in. Yeah. What is topical, should I say? There was a little bit of a discussion earlier in the year about how like the Criterion Collection didn't have a lot of uh, African-American cinema or African cinema. And they've started like one or two of like the upcoming films. I think you can see kind of they're trying to get more of that. Yeah. So stuff like that. Can I just say this is strange to me. Obviously, Parasite deserves a Criterion. I think it's great. I think it's odd that they um, I feel like Moonlight should get one. It, it, the other thing is like studios, sometimes studios, they don't have permission to. Yeah, I don't can't. know how they, I don't think they have any A24 movies, but. Yeah, A24 is pretty, like they're doing their own kind of merch and Blu-ray releasing. But even their Blu-ray, Blu-ray releasing, like aside from the Midsummer one, that collector's edition, they don't do anything crazy with the actual Blu-ray releases. So I don't know. Well, the the day that Criterion releases an A24 film, many people will be happy because that, that probably signals that we'll get more. The first one will be Under the Silver Lake. <laughs> so <laughs> I would not be. I, I'd buy it if it had good special features. A, A. Hmm. So, yeah, I bought I bought the Blu-ray and like a, a week later, this was announced. 
But I couldn't be mad because A, it's an amazing movie that deserves one. And B, it was announced alongside Memories of Murder, which, spoiler alert, is still my favorite Bong Joon-ho movie. I actually bought my Blu-ray copy of Parasite after they announced the criteria. Why? Because I need reasons. Uh, <laughs> there's a website called Shot Deck. Uh, oh, anyway, yeah. I wanted okay, to gotcha. upload. I wanted to get a physical copy of Parasite and then to upload screenshots of. So, yeah, that's why I bought it. It's also cheap. It was like. It was under 15 bucks when I got it. So um, I also just want to point out to the listeners, uh, I was going through the letterbox stuff for Parasite because everyone I know on this app has watched it at least once. And then uh, just there's one person I know on the app who, who has not watched it. What the hell? Jacob, are you aware you've seen this like nine times? <laughs> Two of them in the past week. Yes. <laughs> Because I thought I'd seen it a lot. I'm up to like six now. This is a pretty loaded release. Yeah, so I watched it twice. Once was the black and white edition, and I watched that like full on 100%. And then I watched the commentary, which I was paying attention enough, at least 60% of it, full on. But I was a bit distracted for the other, uh, doing other stuff, just kind of listening to it in the background. Which is fine, because... I counted it, because it was... uh, Enough of my time was spent specifically on it and nothing else that it, it felt qualifying. But, you know, I don't always log those like I do listen to some commentaries just plainly in the background and I don't log it. So I, I do have to, like, pay attention for more than half of the film specifically. But yes, I don't I don't know uh, where we want to start. Black and white. Yeah, we can start with black and white. So the Criterion has two discs. It is. This is one of those where I'd be like, if you if you made it 50 bucks, I'd pay I pay 50 bucks for this. Yeah, it's pretty stacked Two whole disc. The second the second one has the black and white version, right? Yeah. So the second disc has the black and white version of Parasite, which Bong Joon-ho announced that he wanted to do partially just because he, he's a fan of black and white. I can relate. And <laughs> he uh, he thought it was he like he prefers. I think I saw somewhere he prefers the black and white edition, but I'm not sure if that's true. So that can't quote me true. on that. I refuse to believe that's true. I watched it. Chandler didn't. But Chandler, you did watch some of it in black and white. Yes. OK, so the thing about the black and white version, a few different movies over the past few years have done this. It's weird. I don't know why. Uh, George Miller did it for Fury Road. Whatever this fucking name was, who did Logan, the, the Wolverine movie. He did a black and white version of Logan. Uh, nine times out of ten, it just feels like a gimmick to me, which where the movie is so connected to the actual color that I don't see the purpose of a black and white version. I gave this one a shot for two reasons. One, because Bong Joon-ho went on record saying that he specifically um, did or worked on the coloring himself, the shading or whatever for, for the black and white release. So it wasn't just like a black and white movie filter put over to the regular movie. He had, you know, took the time and care to make it balanced correctly. And two, because this movie has, uh, especially towards the middle, uh, it's very Hitchcockian in a lot of ways. So I thought the black and white might draw that out. But I got like five minutes into it. I'm like this. I think I got everything I need to see out of it. It's fine. I, I don't it doesn't look bad. It looks very good. But the color is just so good that I don't see why I would ever want to. Yeah. I've kind of come after watching it. I kind of came to terms with like how much I like black and white as a aesthetic choice in a in a film. 
which I've always known. I've just been a sucker for black and white. Like any any new release, any new release black and white movie, uh, like I'm sold. You, it could be the shittiest thing in the world, and I will watch. I'll try to find it and watch it. The Lighthouse is so nice. <laughs> like I might not be as much of a fan uh, as you are, but I am. I still am a big proponent of The Lighthouse, particularly. That's some crispy black and white cinematography. Some of the best we've gotten in recent years. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, oh I thought I had my Francis Ha criterion. I- Francis Ha, that's another one. I, I need to rewatch that. In fact, I probably will in the next couple of days. Uh, I've been feeling it. I know you put on Paddington 2 for comfort food. For me, it is, um, it's, it's Francis Ha. I put on Paddington. There are, in my favorite movies list, there are quite a few comfort movies. They are there because they do. They are so just kind of. Oh, Fanny and Alexander. It's kind of a comfort film. At least the first hour of it is very. Do, much do you like, know what? I'm not going to call this a, a a comfort movie, but do you know what I have put on twice in the past few days? Just have on in the background because it's nice to listen to. Hmm. You, you've reminded me of something. I was going to get that today. A naked. I was so close to buying it. Uh, I wanted to keep it down to just two movies, uh, but if. If I was a little less fiscally responsible, I would have gotten three and it would have probably would have been naked. I also looked at Life is Sweet. Yeah, that one's good. Uh, th- as far as like the, the, the features go, it's OK, the, the supplements, but it's worth it just for the Mike Lee comedy track. The other kind of criteria I use for picking criterions is do I feel like rewatching it right now? And naked is close to a yes, but it's also very recent in my mind. So I want to wait a little longer. So that's the probably the reason why I didn't pick it. I just want to also go on the record saying I also love black and white cinematography, but I, I love it, especially when it that is it has a purpose. Yes. Well, yeah. No, I, I know I when I when I say with a purpose, I mean, what does the black and white like, especially in a modern movie? Mm-hmm. Um, what does the black and white do for this story? Because when we're so far past black and white, you have to have a reason for bringing it to your story. Because if you don't have a reason, it just comes off as like pretentious. Like the lighthouse, obviously, it's a Which historical I think it should, movie. Like you should just be able to use black and white because it's just another means of expression. It's also just cheaper, I guess. Not really, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd say like I. On average, I prefer black and white cinematography to color. Given like a hundred films randomly chosen of each, I'd probably like I just like looking at black and white more. Not to say that color cinematography like my favorite films are in no I Fanny no. and Alexander's <laughs> in color. Eight and a half isn't. Eight and a half is some of the best black. I don't and think white I have a, a preference. I think I love both. Now that I say this, most of my favorite films are color. There is a feeling that black and white gives you that. Yeah, it's hard to describe. And the issue with Parasite is that if I had seen it once and then I had seen it in black and white, this might be different. But the fact is, is that I saw it six times (laughs) and the the visuals of it, like I screenshotted every frame. So I am very familiar with the the visual nature and language of Parasite. The black and low eight just felt different and not in a good way, not in a bad way. It just it didn't add anything for me. And in yeah. fact, it took away some of the the kind of lovely color information that that film has, like when they're sleeping in the the gymnasium at night and it's blue. 
Oh yeah, it's very nice. The rain sequence, the it, the the kind of harsh street light orange on them is very. It just it it evokes the mood of the film, and I didn't have that same experience this time around. And the black and white was fun, and because I like black and white so much, I I stuck through it. I watched the whole thing, and it was nice. It was a good experience. I'm not sure I'll be watching it in that way again, but I might. I'd say only only the real devotees. <laughs> Parasite and Black and White should uh should really I feel like out. one shot that it would ruin is the um shot of um I don't remember the character's name, but Park So Down when she has the peach and she's blown on it when she's walking away. Mm. There there's other stuff. Like the, the there's a lot of the mood of that film comes from the color. Like the grunginess of the basement really comes across in those greens oh, yeah. and blacks. Especially the walls that look like they're about to just peel. I really felt it at the end of the film when, you know, it's snowing at the end of the film, which I think is important visually. Oh, yeah. And snow doesn't really come across as impactfully in black and white because in color, you know, white is a stark contrast, but white is half of the frame in black and white anyway. So Mm. you're kind of losing that uh, difference. So when he's, you know, climbing up that hill, running home, it feels different and it feels more like a noir kind of more like a Hitchcock, more like what he was going for, but it didn't work for me because I was so familiar with with how it looked before. And because I liked I think that it works better that way. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't look bad. That's the important part. It does not look bad at all. It's fun. It's a gimmick, I think. Yeah, that's, a, that's just how I feel about all black and white versions of yeah and some are more successful than others i think the the mad max black and white version is fun like that's that's worth your time i i can't wait for the the rise of skywalker black and white that's really gonna that's really gonna emphasize the the black and white morality of that world it 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 uh, highlights the dichotomy of good and evil (laughs) and the film's commentary on the the gradations between what we once thought were good and evil characters you know, you know what's funny is that um, the, the a black and white version of Rise of Skywalker might actually make it marginally better because they won't get stupidly angry when she has a fucking light yellow lightsaber at the end for no reason because I won't be able to tell. You heard it here, folks. We're, we are personally asking for a black and white version <laughs> of the Rise of Skywalker. If you can hook us up, let us know. Rise of Skywalker noir. The filmsync at gmail.com. Send us a link. <laughs> That is an actual email, by the way. You can send us whatever you want there. Whatever you want. Um, the so yeah, I didn't get around to the second disc, and I want to because I'm very curious about this. Um, the these features about the uh, South Korean film movement. Mm-hmm. But one thing I did watch on the first disc. Did you watch the interview that he had with that guy with the crystal white hair? I did not. No, I didn't really delve into the the bonus features other than black and white. The guy who was interviewing him. He was a white guy. You know, he looked European of some sort. Uh, He spoke Korean, which I thought was pretty impressive, but he spoke it in such a comically soft voice that it was grating to me. But yeah, this is a great release of a great movie. Uh, The only thing that it's missing is 4K, which, you know, I don't have a 4K TV, so I don't care, but a lot of people request that. It was fun on the Criterion subreddit of seeing people like add in like they they bought the 4K release and they put that disc <laughs> in this 
the Criterion version is like that. <laughs> Why not? I might do that myself. Not a bad idea. I'm very okay. Also important to note at the time of recording, they still have not released information on the Memories of Murder Criterion. I've been eagerly awaiting. So I might not have been as eagerly awaiting it, but I think now after rewatching Memories of Murder, I am dying, dying for this Criterion release. We're going to get into that real quick, but I just want to say the booklet. Uh, I forgot there was a book. The it it's it's white, right? Like the the background's white, black text, and it's the dots and dash uh, motif that they used for the front. Except it's mostly dots, and it reminds me of a cow. And I thought, you know what? You could do the same visual motif for Okja. You could. You could. It, it wouldn't look out of place. Essay is good. I did read it. I, you know, I I tend to not read the booklets when they're like this. I have to read them like that. I prefer the ones that are stapled and they're more like you flip through them. Those I like more. This like folding it out. I it 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 feels like I'm reading a scroll. This is this is the best one. This these kind of booklets are the best. He's putting out the John Cassavetes five films, the the thick Amazing. boy that's inside of that. This is one of the best criterions I own. So yeah, the the Ghost Dog has a uh, stapled one. So oh, nice. Okay. So what should we get into next? So yeah, we recommend the uh, Criterion release of Parasite. I think a lot of people ordered this. Like non, it was hard to find. This might be the the best publicity thing movie release that they've done in a while. Because a lot of a lot of film fans, I feel, haven't gotten into Criterion yet. Like it's it's yeah. it is a niche thing within a niche thing. It, it is, and I think this is a great, and I think going to be quite a few people's uh, starting place it was hard to find it took me three barnes and nobles to finally find one like i think people are just going to be like a year from now they're going to be browsing amazon and like i want to buy a copy of parasite and they're going to see this and they're gonna be like why is it so expensive and like oh <laughs> why is it maybe so maybe i'll buy that this might be like what gets people hooked i don't know i don't know i feel like i feel like if i was browsing through and i'd see something that was very expensive i wouldn't be like oh why is it that expensive i'd just be like i'm not paying that <laughs> but it, it out of 100 people they get five people that's five more that's true once you once you start you're going down a no, long but nobody road casually of, buys criterions you don't buy one or two a i year, mean if you can't maybe. afford it you you do i can't afford it and i still do in college it grew very slowly but I, I don't know if you can see i recently uh i had them my criterions arranged in alphabetical order and now i've changed them to spine order i do this every sale <laughs> i'll change them back just so i can like pick and hold up each one and just look at them again but i changed them to spine order in there it's almost it started the year at the beginning of the second shelf and now it's almost at the end of that second shelf Jeez. I've spent too much money. Hey, you're, I say you're that as a joke, me. but I literally have spent too much money. I no, I stop. know. I, I do it too. And that, that's why I was, it took me, it's taken me a long time just to just convince myself to get Ghost Dog. Because like, you know, I, I, do I really need another one? I don't have space for the ones I have, but I love Ghost Dog. And now I want the Irishman. Uh, so, so what do Bong do you want to do maybe yes. just like our, our general thoughts on Bong and then yeah. do a, a rundown of his filmography and a list? Yeah. So Bong Joon-ho, 
he's very interesting filmmaker. And I don't think it was until I watched Okja and Parasite within the same day that I started to pick up on a lot of the idiosyncrasies within his filmography. Um, because I always just he for for the longest time, he just was to me one of those directors that had a lot of good movies, but there I can never find signatures within those movies that made me think, you know, I'm leaning towards O2 or three, but someone like we've discussed before, Denis Villeneuve, who has a lot of great movies, but you never like watch it and be like, that's a Denis Villeneuve movie. It's just a good movie that he is directing. Maybe I'm wrong in saying that. But I think after watching watching Okja and especially when Parasite was doing its Oscar campaign, I listened to a shit ton of movie related podcasts and interviews with Bong Joon-ho. I think I've got a pretty good idea of the actual guy. And I think a lot of his obsessions are kind of littered all throughout all of his movies. And he is a very he's he's great. And I think one thing that he's underrated in and we'll get to it later but i i'm he's an amazing writer i think yeah that's a tangent but i'll wait until we get deeper into his films but yeah great bong joon ho's great so i started bong i think i've recounted the story of of the one night i got sick sophomore no freshman year and i watched a bunch of movies uh, my first real taste of foreign cinema One of those movies I watched was the South Korean film Masquerade, irrelevant to this discussion. I think it's on Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime for free. It's a good South Korean film. Nothing, nothing wrong with it, but I liked it. And so that me liking that kind of catapulted me into looking into other South Korean films. I don't remember which was first. It was either Mother or Memories of Murder, but I think Mother was the one that really got me. I love Mother. 2009 <laughs> not not the darren aronofsky uh there's, thing. there's so many movies called mother the other mother but mother was was it was early in my cinematic education during college it was a sufficient uh mind fuck of a of an experience it is yeah to like really like latch on to my uh my subconscious and kind of uh the beginning of my love of south korean thrillers but I think after that, I stopped. I watched Memories of Murder, Mother, and then I didn't really watch any South Korean films for, for quite a while. And, and then it just kind of like the floodgates burst later on. And I, you know, watched, watched all of uh, Bong Joon-ho's stuff. And more recently, I finished his filmography. The Host and Barking Dogs Never Bite were the last two to, to be watched. Watched them this year. And uh, great. I mean, I... <laughs> He's just like one of those. He's like the Steven Spielberg of South Korea. They just you you can't go wrong, really. I no. don't. I don't care how you think of Steven Spielberg, but it they're I just like fun Spielberg. thrillers. Like some, they're dark, but they're fun. Ultimately, they're fun movies to watch. That yeah. are you're never going to get a bad experience from him. And no, with one exception. <laughs> oh, okay. you might. I don't know. Well. You won't. But. Well, one thing I think is important to note is that when you compare him to like other South Korean filmmakers, the big ones, at least those mainly being Park Chan-wook and. Um, oh, who did Burning? I can only Hung think of uh, Hong Sang So right now, but no. Uh, Hung, yeah. But what is his name? Oh, uh, Dong something. Lee Chang Dong. Lee Chang Dong. Yes. 
when you look at the other South Korean filmmakers, um, I feel like Bong more than any of his contemporaries has more of a sense of humor. I feel like Bong ha- is comparatively the lightest South Korean director, though his movies still get like crazy dark. And often it's interesting violent. that like he's the most accessible, like the most like crowd pleasing I think from an American's perspective. Yes, yes. Uh, I can't speak for the South Korean uh, experience, but from an American's perspective, he's the most kind of like popcorn blockbuster. And it's very interesting that it doesn't, it, it rarely aligns this way that the, the most kind of popular directors are also the best. And I think you could, as soon as I want to say it out loud, but Bong Joon-ho is probably at the very least the most recognizable South Korean director and is probably one of the best, if not. I would say best. he's the best. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because because for, for me, both Parasite and Memories of Murder are I can't think of any South Korean movies that are better than those two. I like Old Boy a lot, but I don't think it's better than either of those two. Park Chan-wook is no Bong. I, I, I'm sure you would agree that Burning is better. I, I think know you uh, Lee Chang Dong is great. a really good director. He is. And he's gotten better over the years, from my point of view. Mm-hmm. And I, I eagerly await his new movie, but some of his older movies I don't get into as much. Partially, I think it might just be I need to rewatch them because I, I the first time I watched Secret Sunshine, I didn't like it as much. Uh, and then I watched it a second time. And I was like, this is really great. We'll see. Yeah, no, his uh, movies are comparatively lighter. The thing about South Korean films that are just so interesting to me is just the the insanity in which to which they juggle tones. I mean, a lot of uh, South Korean movies, I think, have elements of like black comedy and slasher horror to them. But Bong's movies are they play into the goofier side, I feel like, but it never feels slapstick. Except for maybe in Barking Dogs Never Bite. I think we should specify that South Korean like tones are very, they're kind of different. Like you have to think about them in a different way than you do an American film, I think. Yeah. Because the, the tone is coming from like an extreme sense of darkness and violence. And on the reverse side, just kind of the, the perverse kind of societal reactions that often are, come out as comedy. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that um, when I was listening to the the commentary track on Parasite, uh, Bong stated that he is a director that works within genres, which I don't know if I agree with that. I find that interesting. I would that agree. He thinks that you think so? I, I feel like the host Memories of Murder, maybe Mother kind of fall pretty evenly into genres, but things like Okja and Parasite and Snowpiercer just feel so out there and original that I struggle to even think of a genre that I'd put those into. They are original within their genre, but they are very much within a genre and like murder mystery for mother. Yeah. Procedural uh, memories of murder. Parasites, just a plain old good time thriller, homespun thriller <laughs> uh, story. Your grandmother would tell you by the fireside. <laughs> uh, Snowpiercer is a uh, sci-fi pretty, pretty clearly a science fiction. Oh, film. well, Snowpiercer very f- very evenly falls under the genre of train along with murder on the Orient express directed <laughs> by Kenneth Branagh. just a good old train movie 
trains crash in the snow in both films. What more That's, do you need? You're not Same wrong. genre. You're not wrong. No, but like he, he, like the films are built around kind of a genre idea, but they are they express themselves in a very unique way that is, I think, a result of being South Korean, a result of being of Bong Joon Ho himself. And the fact that he he does approach many of his films from the same direction, uh, a way of like class conflict and class conflict. That's it. Class conflict's the big one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that the elements of uh, of class are within all of his films. I think, but I think one thing that's interesting that when I was watching Okja that I think he does very well is that while a lot of his movies are concerned with class conflict, I don't think he ever. He he sort of paints the upper class as being part of a villainous system. But I think the people that work within those upper classes are typically just regular people. I feel like he has sympathy for even the people who are rich in most more more so than any filmmaker I can think of. He he deals with the subject of class conflict with subtlety. Yeah. In a way that. Except for Snowpiercer. <laughs> is difficult to, but that's, that I feel is sufficiently removed from our own experience. Yeah. To, to where it would be acceptable. And you can get away with a bit more obvious allegory, illusion, metaphor there. You know, oftentimes with like American films, Knives Out is very clearly like there's a class conflict undertone to that, that film that's obvious. If you think about it for five seconds, which, you know, I know a lot of American audiences don't. Yeah. I think it's that, you know, like if you are a wealthy person in America, I'm not sure like this is a very small demographic, but if you're a wealthy person in America watching uh, Knives Out, you're like, oh, I see what you're doing there. But it, it is so subtle in in Bong's filmography that it's no matter no matter what your your standing is you can find entertainment and there's little to object on like a philosophical a political level almost um even though all of his films are very much making statements on, on some level some more than others mother i think might be one of his most subtle films in terms of yeah, that I, theme in particular i'm 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 just looking at all of his movies right now and you know I, I look at all these posters and I, I see the movie title and I am immediately remembering what it's about, what it's saying. And Mother is just it's a blank slate. Not that it was bad. It was a very, very good movie. I thought it was. But I, I don't remember much of the commentary between the lines in that one. Whereas something like especially his, he, he has a rich friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Who, who you know, he takes the blame for his, his rich friend and. Although you could blame that on the fact that he's a bit bit slow, bit dim <laughs> as a person, the main character. Another common theme within Bong Joon-ho's work, people who aren't all there mentally. There is Memories of Murder, Mother, Parasite. Parasite I feel of. like the guy in the, the basement. Yeah. Nguan is kind of, or is that the housekeeper? That's the housekeeper. I don't know his name. Nothing in Oaks or Snowpiercer. I don't remember Barking Dogs Never Bite. All that well, maybe not. The U.S. government in the host is the, uh, the yeah mentally handicapped one. <laughs> the, the movie that I went ahead and watched for this was Okja. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Okja? I really liked Okja. It, it's been a while. I've I've seen it once. 
Okja, um, I feel like Okja kind of fixes a lot of the problems I have with the host. Where you, you saw the host recently. Mm-hmm. So the host is one of those movies that on paper is amazing, but the monster looks so bad that I can't get into anything. I know maybe that's just me because I think the host is a very, very smart movie with what it's saying and how it uses the conventions of the monster movie genre to say more than most monster movies would. But the CGI on the monster is so terrible and dated that I can't take it very seriously. I feel like Okja is similar in that, you know, there's very obviously not a giant super pig on screen, but they went with a lot of attention and care to animating it. And I think that overall it was a very effective story, though. Here's one issue that I have with his English movies. His Korean movies, like I said, they have these they have a weird sense of humor, Mm -hmm. dark comedy that hits you when you least suspect it. I feel like his sense of humor does not translate very well to English because a lot of the funnier moments in his other movies and his Korean movies, they're funny to me because the I guess maybe the Korean actors know how to deliver these lines, even though I don't speak the language like I find Song Kang Ho a very funny actor. Especially in Parasite, he's such a charming dad in that movie. And I don't know what he's saying. And technically the words are the same because it's English translated, but he knows how to breathe life into those words. Whereas in movies like Snowpiercer and Okja, um, like especially in Okja, where like every time we cut back to Tilda Swinton, the villain of that movie. Yeah. And she was just being super eccentric and weird. I was just like, oh, what is going on? And like when there's this one scene in Okja where they get Okja on a truck and they're running away. And one of the guys who's trying to capture Okja is running back towards the truck and then Okja just shits all over him. And I'm just like, uh, come on, Bong. But overall, it was really good. because, um, Like I said, uh, his, he's good. at He's a very good writer. And I think Okja had an amazing ending where, you know, you expect little girl is going to take on the big corporation and it's going to learn its lesson. But at the end of the day, no, you can't just take down a whole corporation. The only thing that motivates it to have a heart is greed. She gives it the pink, gives Tilla Swinton the little um, gold pig. Mm-hmm. Cause that's the only, that's the only way you can negotiate with them is money. And at the end of the movie, the corporation is still going. They're still slaughtering all the super pigs, but they change their lifestyle because that's really the only way you can fight against these corporations is just not give them money. And I feel like a lot of Bong Joon-ho's movies have those nice little bittersweet endings and they're all consistent. I think Okja is probably his most thematically obvious. Yeah. And it works. Like like you said, the host, it, the theme is pretty clear there, though it is not very prevalent throughout the film. Okja kind of improves upon that where it is the film is very much about the theme that it is trying to get across and it's kind of more focused in that way the problem with the host I had was I I, it felt a bit like it wasn't sure if it wanted to be a political commentary or kind of a yeah monster movie and there was a little bit of some really interesting character work which Bong Joon-ho always does but I feel like I could have gotten more from that like known the characters a bit more. So it kind of tried to do a bunch of stuff that I didn't think it, it succeeded in any really well, even though it did succeed quite 
as a whole is still really entertaining. But his three Korean films, other than Barking Dogs Never Bite, are I think we both agree are his the pinnacle of his career. You mean okay, so you mean three Korean movies besides the host and Barking Dogs Never Bite? Yeah, I always think like the host is part of his American <laughs> years, but it's not. No, I agree. Those are the but they are they are all very similar. Like Parasite, Memories of Murder, and Mother are all kind of mystery thrillers. They're not very they're all dramas. They're just people. Yeah. Who are trying not to get killed or trying to find a killer <laughs> or do something. Well, I wouldn't say Parasite's a mystery. There's there's one mystery and it's solved pretty quickly. But but it's a thriller. It is a uh yeah. It has the same kind of vibe as the other two. I agree. That that's where he's at his best, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I I want more. I want him to just for the rest of time, just pump out like like Ozu, just pump out year after year, a class Korean thrillers. Yeah, that's the thing is that I feel like the Snowpiercer Okja era of Bong Joon-ho, that was him like saying, OK, let me do these English movies so people will pay attention. But I feel like now we're at the point where enough people, I feel like, watch foreign language things. And God, after Paris, I think I think regardless of he could put it in fucking cling on and i think people would still watch his movie i don't know why i just thought of this but uh from uh what we do in the shadows he's like see me see me <laughs> except this awesome. one it's it's bong and the person actually sees him is like okay now i can go back and make <laughs> korean movies yeah um so is your favorite still parasite then yeah so my, my favorite is probably parasite it, it still is the most cohesive throughout quality filmmaking is just so consistent throughout no, the I entire agree. runtime parasite is the literally most perfect complain about it's his best movie, but best and favorite are different correct and you know i feel i, I really should have watched mother again because that's one that i really really liked and i haven't seen it in a very long time well very long being two years but yeah my favorite is still uh memories of murder um because that movie not only is an amazing thriller um, but God, the atmosphere in that movie is crushing. I think it's just rain and gloom and overcast the entire time. And the only two breaks you get from it are the very beginning and the very end. There's definitely a it's a, it's messier. It's not as tight as the other uh, two, but I think it handles those little character moments. Like one thing that I also think he does really, really well, even in his lesser movies, every character is memorable i feel like yeah any character with a significant speaking role is memorable and it's not only in the way that they're written but he's very good at like designing characters that you just take one look at them and you remember everything about them um it's especially true in okja where god i didn't i this is one of those things where i watched okja i didn't even know who was in it paul dano is in it steven yoon is in it um Mm -hmm. uh the kid from parasite uh, Tilda Swinton, Giancarlo Esposito is in Tilda Swinton. That's one of the, that and Suspiria are the two films that like created the meme of Tilda Swinton <laughs> playing multiple characters and in, in something. <laughs> she plays two characters. She plays her her and her sister. But you know, all 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 of his movies, really good character work. That's why I think he's such a great writer. Is that he 
he nails the characters like right off the bat. Like you don't even need the whole runtime to know who the characters are. You just need the first scene. Yeah, it's funny. First couple seconds and, and you have a good grasp on who they are. Like the first five minutes of Parasite. When I was watching it in the most recent time, I realized that you really don't get a lot of character moments in Parasite where, you know, someone will artificially talk about, you know, uh, their background, their history, because you get everything just from performance and production design detail and stuff like that. And I feel like that's also the case with Memories of Murder, but I wish I could go into it more, but I haven't watched it a year at this point. I was banking on that criterion. I just watched it, which they actually just released the the new restored version of it, the HD version for streaming. Yeah. I saw it was on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the, the new crispy version of Memories of Murder the other day. And oh, my God, it's so good. It's so good. And I think like it was so close to, to beating Parasite, but Parasite's just too stupid. Yeah. But Memories of Murder, like, I think this might be my song, my favorite Song King Ho performance. His oh, character yeah. is just so much. And it's it's really interesting. I forgot how much like he's just an idiot. Like he doesn't really do anything. He doesn't no. solve the murder. And most of the time he's he's hurt. He tries to pin it on the the mentally challenged guy, even though it's pretty clear that even he doesn't believe the mentally challenged guy. And then in the middle of the film where the the other guy, the the new detective is like, the the song on the radio, that's it's the same thing throughout all the cases. And the songs like, I think it's monks because he shaved his hair and there's no evidence of that. And there's a, I think a shot where they everyone leaves and it's just the the cheese there and songs there, and he and he swivels. He's on like a a, a swivel chair. He swivels into the shot and leans towards his superior. He's like bald or whatever he says. It's, just, it's his funniest role too. Like. It, it's so dark. Like you talked about the the oppressive nature of of the, the atmosphere of that film, and it is. But I also the thing that I really appreciated this time around was how funny it is, and particularly Song Hang, Kang Ho in that role. Well, let's also not forget that one other signature of Bong Joon Ho are the goddamn drop kicks, <laughs> which they're in Memories of Murder and Mother. I want to say there's one in Barking Dogs Never Bite, but I don't remember. You kind of you get a push in Parasite. But well, you get a kick. kick. You yeah. get a kick. And I will give I'll give it to Parasite because it is not only a kick, but it's also the part I laugh hardest at every time. <laughs> and that has to it has to be a drop kick and it has to be the funniest part of the movie. Sure, I'll give it to Parasite. Um, but yeah, that's like when Song Kang Ho first meets the other detective. He just drop kicks him off the side of a hill. Have you seen the the new the trailer, the restoration trailer that they put out? Yes, I have. Okay, it's a pretty good trailer. Yeah, it is. I'm always like I hate old trailers. They're they're terrible. No, they must have been really bad. You could say like the art of trailer making really hit its stride in the past ten years. I think so. I, I know it's become very homogenized, but it's still the good ones are really good. I think the the art a lot of the art around movie making kind of has grown over the years. You could point to like Saul Bass and posters being like oh, the yeah. real, like the start of real good posters in the 60s and 70s. And I think, I think going forward, late 2000s, 2010s, the start of like trailers that actually like focus on creating the, the atmosphere of a film rather than telling you the plot. And they've kind of realized 
the studios have realized that, oh, maybe we should create atmosphere in our trailers. We might not be creating it in our films, but the trailers is the aspiration. <laughs> it's going to slap on a slow reverby cover of a happy song. But the memories of murder, that new trailer, it, it does a good job, effective job of kind of conveying the the atmosphere and the thriller nature of the film. My favorite moment from that whole movie, I'm struggling to remember the exact context, but there's a scene early on where Song Kang Ho is investigating a new newly found body. And it's just like a tracking shot of him navigating all these different things that are going on this murder investigation. The press and this tractor who just drives when he tells them not to drive through the crime scene and then the police officers that don't know how to put up the tape. That's the, that's the best shot of the whole movie. Maybe more so than uh, almost Parasite, that there are a few scenes in Memories of Murder where Bong is at like A plus levels of creating tension over a scene where not much is actually happening. And that's that's a really great example of him just he's just arriving at, at a crime scene and it's utter chaos. And the way he's filming it, the sound design, most of like if you were to shut off the sound design, it wouldn't be half as chaotic. Oh, yeah. But a lot of that moment is just coming from it. And I knew I could remember the tractor going over the footprints, the evidence. <laughs> and I was like listening for it. And you can hear it like in the background, just slowly getting louder in the in the soundtrack. And it's so great. It's also scary. The other, I think, really effective piece of tension and horror and almost comedy too. the this film's kick moment from Parasite is when the kid uh, is running away from the cops and gets hit by the train. Oh, yeah. I always forget about that. The whole scene when they like they corner it, they finally get to him and they're asking him questions by like the hay bales. And then the people from the restaurant find them and start because they don't know they're cops and they start fighting. And then the, the, the kid escapes. And just the moment of like horror as he like goes up on the train tracks and Song Kang Ho is trying to get him off of there. And like, you know, this is <laughs> is too stupid to move. And you it's just like it's one of those great moments of like Hitchcockian horror. Where like, you you know, the bomb has been placed. It's ticking. Yeah. And there, there's nothing that can stop it. But you're like, please don't get hit by the train. And then he gets hit by the train. And so. <laughs> kind of funny that you know i also feel um that as far as the horror goes i'm i'm just pulling it up from a, a review i did for the last time i watched it which is january of 2019 so it's been a while um but there's a the shot where um it's just one of the soon-to-be murder victims on the right side of the frame and then you have this huge grassy field on the left side of the frame and you can see the guy like sort of like rise from the field before he like pounces on her I remember that just being it's a very subtle pretty terrifying. shot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one's my favorite. Funnily, funny enough, uh, that person who this movie's about was apprehended recently. The actual. Murderer. I was looking at interviews and I, why didn't why did no one ask him about memories of murder? Like, have you seen <laughs> memories of murder? That's all I wanted. I wanted to know, have you seen the film? <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> right. Like everything is always talking about like what? I don't like think the he facts has of the case. Because if I remember correctly, he was when the reason that they found it was him because uh, he was already in jail serving right another sentence, and I think that sentence was um, carried out before the movie even came out. You know, you can watch movies in jail, can't you? I don't know about new movies. It's been out for a while. I mean, maybe you could, but I do find it funny that um, 
Yeah, so the real life is Lee Shun Jae, who was arrested. Yeah, he was arrested in 89 for a robbery. Oh, no, never mind. He was he was arrested and sentenced to death in May of 19. Murdered his sister or something? Yeah, murdered his sister. Uh, He was convicted and sentenced to death in May of 1994. So like a good almost 10 years before the movie actually came out, which is funny to me because the movie comes out. And one of the most significant parts of it is that, you know, the ending has been praised as this whole this direct address to the audience saying that this guy is still out there. When in reality, the guy has been in bars way before this movie even came out. I think that's kind of funny. Yeah. A, a trademark of Bong that I noticed. And I think it's particularly you can I can't speak specifically about the other movies but specifically memories of murder and parasite is i really noticed this time around watching memories of murder how economical he is at his scene transitions so often his scenes arrive at their point and immediately cut to the result of that <laughs> point and you know parasite it's it's obvious you can think of like ki woo is like oh i have uh, my sis i know someone who went to uh, illinois chicago Cut to them walking up the stairs like it cuts out all of the fluff. Mm-hmm. And to a large part, uh, I noticed that Memories of Murder does the same thing. What, the one I, I wrote down specifically was uh, at one point, Song Kang Ho, his character goes to uh, a soothsayer or like a, um, a seance type person uh, uh, to get information on the case just to see what, what she would have to say. And Song is like, don't sell me a charm. Hard cut. To him at the crime scene, using the charm to try to figure out. (laughs) But uh, the whole film is just filled with uh, stuff like that, where like as soon as you get the relevant piece of information from a scene, it cuts and moves on in a way that doesn't feel like you're rushing. No, but feels very economical and like it's not wasting your time with kind of just the procedural aspects of the procedure. Yeah, uh, another huge um inspiration in this movie that he's got on record of saying is uh, high and low which i think you can see that in both this and parasite high and low is similar in that it has the inciting incident and then the, like the next hour and a half is showing the nitty-gritty of how the police handle these sort of things and this is kind of how it works for this movie especially when the second detective arrives and you know we're gathering clues and stuff like that but he does this thing where he's so he's so beautifully paces all the information learning all these little bits about the killer like when he strikes the music the the clothes that the uh, the girls are wearing and it all comes to fruition at um it's similar to the moment in parasite when the housekeeper shows up again halfway through the movie uh it's like the last big chase to the serial killer where the song comes on the radio when they're like arguing and then you can they see that it's raining and in that moment, like everything kicks into high gear and it kind of doesn't stop until the end. Um, I remember the last time I watched it, I remember thinking, oh, this isn't as tight as his other movies. But I still think it is, even though it is a little more atmospheric and going through the characters and not taking not rushing to get through all the information. Yeah, I say it is tighter than your average film average thriller even like i thought it was very kind of meandering when i first watched it but this time around really kind of hammered uh i really got the sense of the pacing a lot more and you know it's it's nothing compared to parasite which is just a roller coaster of a film yeah 
it's still it's a really well paced uh, film for being like not anything happens like they investigate and then they fail and it's done. Yeah, but it's got a lot I mean, of great it's still little, very engaging. It's got a lot of great little character moments. I love the scene where both the detectives and the superior go to the bar. Mm-hmm. That framing, which I the, always thought like happened later in the film, <laughs> but it happens early. like a third into the movie. Yes, yeah, always. It always makes me laugh when he has to barf into the ice box, ice bucket. <laughs> that old man was um, he was also an Okja, the, the police sergeant, I guess. Hmm. No, Memories of Murder. It's, it's good. It's my favorite. One of my favorite movies ever. TBH. Not just Bong movies. It's somewhere in my top 25. It's up there. Hold on. Let me check. Yeah, well, I was about to say. Let's bring up our lists. Um, so my number one is Parasite. Uh, number two, Memories of Murder. Number three, Mother. Snowpiercer. The Host. Okja. And Barking Dogs Never Bite. Memories of Murder is my number seven favorite movie ever. Wow. Yeah, so mine, Bong list... Number one's Memories of Murder. Number two is Parasite. Number three is Mother. I'll put number four as Okja. I haven't added it to the list, but I'll put Okja there. Then the host, Barking Dogs, Never Bite, and Snowpiercer. Hmm. Snowpiercer is your least favorite. Interesting. Yeah. It's not bad. I get it. There's a lot of people that don't don't really gravitate towards it. Snow. That's the thing. Snowpiercer, uh, I feel similar to Mishima, where I'm watching it. I'm like, this is a great concept. There's a lot of thought and care put into this. There's a lot of great filmmaking. I just don't care. It's so it's good. I like it, but it's so not subtle <laughs> about what it's trying to say. Yeah. As much as I like that concept, it's just maybe the show's better. Snowpiercer, the host, Nokja. I'm not really sure what order those go in. I think it might be a recency bias. And I need to rewatch Okja. But uh, Parasite, Memories of Murder and Mother. Those are for sure. My, those my are the best. Favorite. Yeah. Do you give a what's mother four and a half or five? I think four and a half. Yeah. Barking dogs never bite is fine. It I I really kind of liked it the first half. Um, And then eventually I just lost interest in finding out what happened. Like I didn't care. And I was rewarded with my not caring was rewarded with the fact that the ending was kind of (laughs) stupid. And it didn't do anything for me. So I was like, okay, good. But the first half was like fun. Like there's some really fun yeah. filmmaking in there and uh, the introduction to everything and the problems. Like it's a really good like first 30 minutes. And it's yeah, I remember liking the um, the boiler man. I thought that was funny. Uh, I, I just I just decided to look up just for fun. The actress who is in mother, the main actress, the mother, yeah. the titular mother, the titular. Mother. Um, she's in a few other movies and one of them is just called how to steal a dog. <laughs> <laughs> informative hmm. a banana at this time of night <laughs> we should do an episode on that i watch it i'm pretty sure it's on amazon oh it is so do we have anything else to say about bong what do you expect next from bong it's gonna be hard to top parasite i don't expect him to i would like to see maybe something a bit more rural what assuming that bong continue bong continues with his south korean roots with his next film you know parasite seems like a it's a city film it's a film that takes place in a populated area yeah but a lot of the movies that i like from south korea from song kang ho and lee chang dong are more like kind of the backcountry rural settings so i'd like something maybe a little like slower paced 
I, I don't know what about. I, I can't dictate what uh, what Bong should do something, but something uh, something less because I, I feel like a lot of his films are taking place in very concentrated elements of society. And I think the like the rural versus urban dichotomy is something that could be mined for class conflict and 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 other things you know that's kind of what they do in memories of murder the um the new detectives the big city cop i do suppose that is a uh kind of rural south korean yeah well, i see that maybe back to <laughs> back back to his memories of murder roots yeah apparently well i'm looking at just his letterbox and the his next movie it's just called untitled bong joon ho korean horror project it just says Bong Joon-ho is developing a horror disaster movie set in Seoul that he has been working on for 18 years. Oh, wow. Well, I guess I'm getting a city movie. (laughs) If that's true, I don't know. I don't know. Let's see if there's anything else that he said. He said he was writing a script. I remember that was in the Parasite um, commentary. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad he's working. Give give him a break, though. The guy that... He said he did like over a hundred press interviews for Parasite, and I just think, God, imagine doing over a hundred and being asked the same questions every day. I'd be like, just watch my other review. Stop asking <laughs> this question. Next, that's funny. Uh, it, he was included in the twenty-five best film directors of the twenty-first century in a Metacritic list published in twenty seventeen, which is interesting because that was before Parasite. He got on that list before Parasite. He's... Someone saw Okja and he's like, ah, he's one of the best. <laughs> I like animals. I'm a forward thinking progressive. Bong Joon-ho, <laughs> best director of the century. Uh, now, I wanna, now I want to watch Burning again. I might just do that tonight. I might. Uh, according to me, it's the best Korean film not directed by Bong Joon-ho. But would you say it's the best South Korean film? No. What? No, Parasite's clearly the best South Korean film. Well, okay, yes, but is it your favorite? But it's my favorite South okay, Korean that's... film, yeah. yeah. Of course it is. It's it's like three, four. It's four on my favorite films list. Remember, yeah, Memory of the Murders up there. Might be a little high. I might, I might bump it down one. Yes, so next time, an interesting combination. I don't think, I think we'll do Ghost Dog, Ghost Dog a week after that. But next time, I think we can do The Third Man and... Finally, full metal out. <laughs> Orson Welles in anime. Yep. I mean, he was. His last role was in Transformers. That's true. It's not entirely out of nowhere. I mean, it is pretty out of nowhere. It's not really a combination. No one's pairing those two together. <laughs> well, I mean, what did we do? Solo and um, what did we pair Solo with? Tatami Galaxy? Or was that after? That was after. That was after. We, uh, Cure. It was Cure. Cure. There, there are weirder pairings. Well, okay. So next week would be, well, you know, okay. Thanks next week that. is the third man and whatever, uh, full man alchemist. But you know what comes out the week after that? What is Mank 